Hey everyone, Sarah Peck here, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. Let's talk about sales. Let's talk about selling. And let's talk about storytelling. Today's guest is a phenomenal storyteller, and she is one of the top of her class in sales. But she never thought she'd actually be in a sales profession. In fact, she stumbled into what became a really defining moment of her career and carved her own path as a salesperson in a very different way than what a typical salesperson looks like. Bridget Gleason is a record-breaking and award-winning sales lead who has worked at really big companies and really small companies, at startups and more. Her way of working, however, is unusual. She wanted to be a stay-at-home mother, and after her second kid, however, it turned out that that path wasn't available to her. Faced with a sudden set of circumstances and having to navigate single motherhood alongside the need to work and to put food on the table and get her kids to school, she issued somewhat of an ultimatum to her next employer. She said, I want to work half-time. I want to do it all in 20 hours a week so that I can still be home with my kids. But there is a catch. If I make as much money as the next salesperson for the company, I want to be paid just as much as a full-time employee. So take a listen to today's episode and hear all about how this turned out for her. And also, you'll get to hear her wisdom and what she has to share about leadership, about sales, and about doing things differently than everyone else, and why it's so important to carve out your own path and maybe, along the way, reject some of the norms and expectations for how things are quote-unquote typically done. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. This episode is brought to you by our amazing friends at Taskerly Virtual Assistants. They are a virtual assistant godsend to anybody who is a busy lady. And if there's one thing I know, parents and entrepreneurs are pretty busy. If you are curious, head to taskerly.co slash pregnant and apply to work with them. As a bonus for being a startup pregnant listener, you get 10% off of your first three months. And stick around at the end of the show because I'll tell you a little bit more about how they work and how to best use them. As always, hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a minute to leave us a review, we would love that. If you need any of the show notes from the show, head to startuppregnant.com. So hi, Bridget. Welcome. And thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me, Sarah. So I have so many questions for you. And I want to start by asking you to tell us a little bit of your background. Where did you grow up? Where are you from? Well, I like to say I'm a Californian, but I actually was born in Dallas, Texas. Mm. So we lived there just for a short time, but I'm one of seven children and six girls and one boy. We're all really close. I would say very high achieving family. My father was an entrepreneur. So that definitely shaped me and who I am and what I'm interested in, mm. but came just from a great family, Southern California. Ended up moving up to Northern California after I graduated from UCLA and got into sales and have sort of been in and on that path kind of along the way. 
Have you always been interested in sales as your go-to profession? Has this been something that's been an ambition of yours for a long time? It was never my ambition. Hmm. It was never my ambition. It was, in fact, when I was young and my father would talk to me and all of us about you know what we wanted to do career-wise. And one of the great things about both of my parents, but I remember my father in particular, my father believed that we could do anything and instilled such a sense of confidence in all of us. I don't think my father saw gender. My father was unaware of gender. Mm. And I remember him saying to me, Sarah, and I'm sure he said it to my sisters also, when I would say, Daddy, maybe I want to be a nurse. And he would say, well, that's great, honey, but why be a nurse if you could be a doctor? Mm. Or why work for someone if you can work for yourself? So my father was always pushing, not pushing, but encouraging to kind of find that star and go for it. And when he would talk about sales, though, because my father, he ran companies, but his background was more financial. He was a big believer in just the importance of sales and having that as a background. And I just said, that's one thing I don't want to do. I'm an introvert. I don't like it. I don't want to go out and do it. So no, I never thought I'd go into (laughs) sales. This is so, no, not on my path. Hmm. Not on my path. How did that end up happening? How did you get here? Yeah, because we should probably, just for those that don't know, I'm the VP. Of, I've been a VP of sales for several several years now. So it's sort of funny that having not been on my path, that that really became defining. And I'll interject an amazing one at that and one that speaks regularly <gasps> about leadership and about what it's like to be a non-traditional extroverted oh salesperson. Amazing. And I'll link in the show notes for people who want to read more of that work that you've done. So you're this incredible yeah. salesperson. Incredible. And you've been at a number of different companies and a number of different startups. But I want to make sure to ask you about your journey as a mother and how that has been interwoven in between this really incredible career that you've had. So how do those two pieces fit together? Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. And it's, gosh, Sarah, I look back on my life and my career and sort of where things have gone. And just like I didn't have this charted that I was going to go and be a VP of sales, so many little twists and turns along the way that I wouldn't have picked. I wouldn't have selected, but I'm so glad to be where I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always been ambitious and motivated. And when I was at UCLA, I was a sort of double majored. I was English, but I also was a peer teacher in the engineering school. So I kind of have both sides of my brain firing that way. And my first job out of school, actually, I was in marketing at mm-hmm. Xerox. And I just was bored and I was doing a lot of research and competitive analysis for the sales team. And I just decided, I I guess maybe my father's words were ringing in my head about going into sales. So I ended up going into sales, Hmm. but my real passion, Sarah, and it's so funny sitting here to say this, my passion, I wanted to be home with my kids when I had them. Hmm. So what I wanted to do, I had this vision of doing a very traditional role and being that sort of stalwart for the family and raising my kids. And it's one thing I knew more than anything, what I knew that I could do for my kids and my family. 
was to give them this intact, amazing home life. Mm -hmm. I knew it as much as I knew that my hair was brown and I was five foot four. I knew it. Hmm. And life gave me something different. So I was working at Xerox. I met a great guy. We got married, two kids. My sons were, gosh, one and three. And my husband at the time left. He had met someone else and marriage was over. And Sarah, I was heartbroken. And I was devastated because what I knew, I now realized I didn't know. And all I wanted was to give these two children this home, what I saw as a home. And now not only was what my idea of that was ripped apart and I needed to go back to work. My ex-husband hasn't had a trust fund and, you know, he could go off and do whatever. And I didn't and don't. And this was so defining, not only career defining, but just defining in my life and trying to navigate. All right. I've got two kids. I was not willing. Everybody makes different decisions and I don't have a judgment or right or wrong, but I knew that for myself, I wanted to be able to spend as much time with my sons as humanly possible, very maternal. So I ended up finding a job with a startup company where I was going to do sales for them. And I negotiated with the CEO and said, you don't know me. You don't know what I can do. I've been out of it for a number of years. I don't mind if you just pay me 100% commission because I'll bet on me. And inside I'm shaking, Sarah. Okay. I'm thinking, okay, I'll bet on me. But I said, but at the end of the day, whether I work two hours or 20 hours, whether I'm in the office 80 hours a week or four hours a week, if I sell as much as the rest of the people on the team, I just want to make sure that I'm compensated. I worked part-time, very part-time. And I was always number one. One quarter, I slipped to number two. But I was so motivated because I wanted to be home with my sons. And there were a couple of pieces to this. I remember, Sarah, driving to interviews, crying, crying, crying on the way. Mm -hmm. And I'd have to allow a little extra time so I could, I'm not a pretty crier, so I could (laughs) get, you know, to show up and then going to interviews because this is not what I wanted. And I remember my first day after I got this job crying on my way. But as soon as I got to the office and as soon as I started, I thought, oh, this isn't so bad. There's this other part of me that's very much alive when I'm here at the office and working. Mm. And work for me, this type of work, because motherhood is the most work, this type of work ended up being a gift in a different kind of a wrapper. The wrapper didn't look like a gift. Mm. The wrapper looked like something that I didn't want, that I wanted to run from. But it ended up being such a beautiful gift for me. It was a wonderful gift for my two sons because they got a picture and experience with a woman who I had to become strong, Sarah. It made me strong. It made me more authentic. It made me live my values. It gave me so much that I don't think I would have gotten had I just progressed on the path that I was trying to create for myself. 
And sales, really, I'm so appreciative for just the profession of sales because sales afforded me that opportunity to have a flexible work schedule and really have a job and compensation that was based on my performance, not the hours I put in. And I learned so much. I had to learn how to be most efficient and I had to learn how to be most productive. And those things that I learned when my sons were so young, well, they certainly have made me the manager I am today, the leader I am today, the coworker I am today because of those lessons I learned so early. So there's so much in here that I want to ask you more about. Like We could unpack yeah. this for hours and hours. Now, I'm really curious, what does a part-time schedule look like? How were you able to design that? And what did you do to make that first job really work with your kids? Yeah, I needed to be there in the mornings for them. So I'll just kind of fast forward a little bit is I didn't go work for anybody until my youngest was a sophomore in college. So I held firm to this that whole time. Wow. It was that important to me. The first design was, all right, there are going to be certain meetings and things at the company that I need to attend. So let me figure out when those are. If there are certain days or hours that I need to be there, the kids were so little. One and three, I wanted someone to come into my home. So I designed what are the hours that I actually need to be now? Because I was not there more than 20 hours, for mm -hmm. sure. Not away more than 20. And then, Sarah, I had to be so efficient during nap times. I had to be so efficient at the end of the day when the schedule that they were on is they would go to bed 7 p.m. So I would then pick up and have another set of work that I would do in the evening. It was exhausting. I will not lie. It was exhausting and it was hard. And I mean, I still get emotional when I think about it. But when my youngest, when I brought him up to college and we were up at Gonzaga and he was still asleep and I went for a run and I just started to cry. You can see that's a thing for me. I cry. I, I, I'm a crier. <laughs> me too. But, <laughs> me too. Um, so I started to cry on this run and I just sort of fell to my knees on the grass in gratitude and I made it. I did it. I got my youngest launched. And in those early days, it was so, so exhausting. There was a lot to it. And I feel like in a way, the other gift I got with this was an and, not an or. I got to have, get to have a really meaningful career that I get so much out of. Mm -hmm. And I had this amazing experience with my sons, essentially, as a single mom through it and the closeness and the gift and all the lessons that we learned together. I really got the gift of an and, and it wasn't easy, but being on this side of it, so rewarding, mm. so rich. I think that thing that you said about like efficiency and those nighttime routines too are so important because I have a one-year-old right now. So I'm listening to what you're saying and saying, oh my gosh, yes, yes, yes. It's seven o'clock at night, put him to bed. And then you've got that the few more hours to get stuff done. And it's not my best window. It's not the <sighs> most, you know, I'm a morning person. I love getting up and writing. And yet it's such brilliant training ground for, go ahead. 
Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I just want a plus one that I'm a morning person. Yeah. And so nighttime is not my good time. Like seven o'clock, I'm ready to go to bed too. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm a 4 a.m., 4.30. Mm-hmm. Me too. I haven't actually met that many people. <laughs> <laughs> There's not that many that are as crazy. It's a balance and it's hard. It's hard because it's not my best time. And I had to really say, okay, I'm going to work this hour. And these are the four things I'm going to do. And then I'm going to stop and I'm going to give some time to Bridget. Mm -hmm. And I had to make sure that I did that. I think the one thing that's really important, especially as moms reenter the workforce, is you've got so many demands, but you will not be able to satisfy anybody else if you don't make sure that you also take care of you. Mm -hmm. And as important as that routine was at the end of the day, the routine that I developed early and part of the reason I got up so early is I needed a little bit of me time. And me time for me was and is, I like to read the New York Times. I need to be able to write in my journal and I need to be able to work out. So when my boys were young, I would read the New York Times. I would write in my journal. And then when they got up, I had a double jogging stroller and I would go <laughs> and run with the two of them and I would incorporate them into that early morning. Okay. I need to go work out before I really start my day. But those were things that I knew that I needed to give to me because if I waited till the end of the day, I would shortchange myself. And it's really hard to nurture and give to others if we haven't done that first for ourselves. A thousand percent. So can I plus one everything you just said? <laughs> and I want to ask you about something you just said about crying. So I experience that as well all the time, right? It's like the tears are just higher up in my body and they're like ready to come out at any moment, both personality wise and then also sleep deprivation and motherhood wise. Mm -hmm. um, rather than seeing it necessarily as a negative or this gendered thing, does crying make you better at your job? Is crying something you bring into the professional workplace? Like, Talk to me about crying and about how it plays a role in your life. <sighs> yeah. You know, it's one that I'm sure you've experienced these moments, Sarah, where you're in a meeting with a boss. It's been with me at a board or just I'm on the verge and I'm doing everything I can to hold them back. And there are some times that I've been successful and there's some times that I haven't been. I don't ever want my emotions to be manipulative. I don't view them that way. I don't try to use them that way, but I'm emotional. My team has certainly seen me cry. They hear see me get emotional. Like they get all my primary colors. <laughs> I've tried to embrace, there was a quote that I read that said, it's by Mo Gadot. And he wrote a book called Solve for Happy. Mm. And it's a great book. He's the chief business officer at Google X. And he said, don't ever be apologetic about following your own rhythm. And sometimes for me, Sarah, my rhythm is tears. And there are times when I've had to say when I couldn't hold them back, I just need a few minutes. I'm so sorry. And I'll go back and I'll collect myself and I'll go back later. When you get the Bridget package, this is part of the package. And I think one of the things I've also, not just with tears, but I would say struggled maybe with the most in 
leadership roles and executive roles is that I often feel that they want me to show up a certain way. Hmm. They want me to be a certain kind of VP of sales. They want me to, because it makes them feel more comfortable if I'm doing the role like they expect, if I beat my chest and I got it under control and I know what we're doing, if I behave the way they expect, they feel better. Hmm. Mm -hmm. But that's inauthentic to me because there are a lot of times, Sarah, I don't know what to do. I don't know what the answer is. I don't have all the data. And you can push, push, push. And if I stay authentic, I've got to stay grounded and say, I don't know. Here's my best guess at what I think, given what I know. The last thing I'll say about it is I had one CEO who, it wasn't my crime. And I don't get very angry. Like I don't go to anger. That's not a place I go to. But even the nuances of emotion, he used to always say to me, he'd pull me aside in the hall and say, you got to put your game face on, Bridget. You got to put your game face on. You got to just go. Th-. And I kept thinking, oh, my game face. I don't know. Okay. Part of it I get. Part of it I understand that we've got to stay professional and upbeat. And that's a really long answer to your question. I've got to be true to the full complement of who I am. And sometimes there's a lot of emotion in it. Amen. Amen. What we bring may be different. And I think about the relationships that I have with people who have worked for me, both recently and then in the past, and how moved I am, the things they share, and that they feel that I'm a very safe place to share what's real and going on in their lives. Hmm. It's a privilege. Now I want to cry. <laughs> That's what a beautiful place to work, right? Like there's so much conversation out there about people who don't feel like they're their whole selves at work or mm. they've got a professional persona and a parenting persona. I talk to women who don't even include mom in their bios because they don't want to be perceived a certain way. And all of this pretense, like what does it do to us to not be able to fully show up? And Sarah, when you think about people that perform at their best and stay at jobs, they've got somebody in the workforce, their boss, who thinks of them as more than a tool to get a job done, who knows him or her, who understands what they're about. And I often tell, in fact, this morning I had a conversation with someone who works for me about... This is the stage that we're in right now. This current company, this is the stage. We're working our own stuff out in the stage. And we've talked about having book club. Okay, this is my sales team, and they're mostly men. And we talk about book club. And the book club that they want to have, Sarah, Hmm. is the internal stuff. It's the touchy-feely stuff. Like It just brings a big smile to my face. We do all the sales training and we talk about metrics and we do all of that. Mm -hmm. But they also want to talk about what's going on inside because I want them to be able to be their whole selves. I care about them personally. I care about them professionally. And I think that's something that often that women maybe, maybe it's stereotypical, but I think we're just more wired that way to have that connection. Right. Cultured or wired or whatever it is, this is where whatever we are. Whatever it is. Right. And what an opportunity, especially for one of the populations I'm studying, pregnant women in particular, they have all these stereotypes around them of being more emotional and baby brain and all of these things, right? 
risky for business. And I just think like, what an awesome opportunity to flip each of those tropes on its head and say, yeah, we're more emotional. What a radical opportunity, right? You have this gift of a person that has more emotional fluidity right now. What can that do for the whole team, right? Can we have more feminine wisdom and feminine not being a woman trait, but like everybody has access to in men and women. Oh God, what a cool workplace that could be. And I love how you're thinking about that. How do we flip these? How do we flip these stereotypes and look at the other side? It reminds me again, when I was going back into the workforce and because I'd been in sales and trained in sales, when I had to go back in, I thought a lot about that. How do I flip this position that I'm in? I am a single mom with a one and three-year-old and they have needs and they're going to get sick and I'm going to need to be home. How do I flip that to turn it into a positive as opposed to seeing me as a big risky liability? Mm -hmm. And I think the same questions that you're asking around pregnancy, how can we flip all of those things that happen and turn those into a positive in the workforce? I think those are wonderful questions to explore. So I have another question for you, and I'm curious to know if you have a well-defined bullshit meter, like if you have honed a sense of when you know things are in line and in tune and when you're like, mm, ding, 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 something's not going right. And whether or not that was something that you learned or acquired through becoming a mom. Hmm. Give me an example of when that meter might go off. Sure. So one of the stories I'm hearing a lot is people who work in everyday work situations will go to meetings that are kind of a waste of time, or they'll listen to slide decks that aren't that great. And once they become mothers, one of the things is like, I just don't have time for this. I literally do not have any more time to waste. This meeting is a waste of time. I'm going to walk out. I've heard people talk about, and I find this fascinating, this kind of efficiency maybe is a better word for it, meter. And you've spoken about it with just being a single mom and having to make it work and working part-time. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So that's super helpful. I guess I don't think of it as a BS meter, but I do think of it in terms of a productivity efficiency meter. Oh my God, that got honed and refined and I still use it to this day and I wouldn't have been good at it had I not had that forcing function. I think motherhood does it, me working part-time. I only had a certain number of hours in the day. And it wasn't so much BS, but as what you talked about, I don't have time. I don't have time. And it wasn't just other people. It was my own self. And I think maybe that efficiency or BS meter was most honed for my own activities. Because I've got control over how I spend my time and being able to say, yes, I can show up and do this. And no, I can't do that. And you never want to ask for a forcing function. Like as I'm starting to say the words, I think, oh, dear universe, don't give me a forcing function. (laughs) But I think like I need to sharpen that skill because I find now that I've got all this time, my sons are now, Sarah, 26 and 27. They are such amazing young men, professionally and personally, just who they are. I'm so super proud of them. And I don't have the forcing functions. I can take all kinds of time. I mean, I'm super busy, but I have a lot more flexibility with my time. 
I have a coach who works with me, an executive coach, who continually tries to help teach me this lesson and remind me of this lesson that just because I have the time doesn't mean I should be doing something. So that is an amazing gift, an amazing skill that moms need to learn because you just, you don't have the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That efficiency need or that productivity that does, is this worthwhile? The prioritizing. I'm continue to be a very big like list. These are the most important things I need to get done today. Mm-hmm. And these are the blocks of time I think it's going to take. Okay, I need to do these three. That was born out of those early days of, all right, I've got four hours mm-hmm. and I've got 38 things. Mm-hmm. What are the things that are going to be the most impactful? Okay, do those. Wow. I love the phrase forcing function, even though I know that we never want them in our lives, but they end up being secret gifts, like you're explaining. The other thing that this experience gave me when what I was most afraid of, what I didn't want most of all was a divorce. Like I just never thought that was going to enter my world. Being a single mom that had This was not even in my realm of possibility. So talk about having to turn that inside into a gift. That also, Sarah, I think is a wonderful training ground in the context that we're talking about new moms. Mm -hmm. You're going to get hit with so many surprises. A child homesick, the babysitter quit daycare was closed, the expenses I can't afford. I mean, you're going to be hit with things that there's nothing in them that looks like a gift. Mm -hmm. How do we reframe that we go with this flow? The universe is not out to make life miserable for me and to see the things that come my way as opportunities, not obstacles. Mm. And that takes an incredible amount of deliberate thought and conversation and great friends and people who've done it in other circumstances. And I think part of what I love what you're doing and the podcast and the book that you're writing, I got so much, Sarah, from people I never met in person, but that I met in a book, mm-hmm, that I met mm-hmm. on a podcast, or I met in an article. And that became so close to me through their stories and gave me so much inspiration through their stories. And I think there's so much power in that. Again, motherhood's going to throw you all kinds of things you never expected. You're not ready for You didn't want. It's not good timing. It's not appropriate. Right, right. Everything. All everything. Kids are not predictable. And how do we work to turn each one into something that can be ultimately used for our benefit? thousand percent everything you're saying and it reminds me how much like guts and resilience are part of it where it's just like you know even just the act of getting pregnant you have no idea what kind of kid you're going to get none right like your whole mashup of genetics like look at your great aunt bobby and you know Susie q over here and it's like which one might they be like or somebody completely different (laughs) yeah oh yes So one of the themes that I'm hearing too, we started with and has been woven through is this idea of taking whatever comes your way and finding out how to act in the face of unpredictability or uncertainty. 
which is such a tremendous skill to have, especially in entrepreneurship or in startup land. So can you tell me a little bit about where you're working now and how these skills translate? Oh, God. I made a note to myself, make sure you let Sarah know that this isn't something that gets perfected and then you're done. <laughs> like it's a constant struggle. It's a constant struggle. So one of the difficulties in being in sales, Sarah, and being a VP of sales, anybody out there, like I tell my team, be careful what you wish for. Sometimes I think a VP of sales is the worst job on the planet. Because in a way, I am measured every day, every week, every month, every quarter, every year by a number. Mm. Revenue. All of my worth, how I'm perceived in the market is a number. And that's so antithetical to how I think about my own worth and my own value and having to balance the two that whether I have a good quarter or a bad quarter, I, Bridget Gleason, am valuable. I am worthwhile. I am important. I am a contributor. Like all of these things, I would say that's big work for me always. And usually I have this like, God, Sarah, I'll look at the date. I'll look at the date and I'll think, oh my God, I've only got six weeks left in the quarter Mm. and we're at And I'm always measuring myself against a number because everybody around me is measuring me against the number also. I have to be vigilant on that work, the two that myself and this number are not so tied together. Like, here's a great one. The board of this company had said to me, I was about midway through the quarter. And they asked me what my commit was for the quarter. And I came out very confidently. This is my commit. And one of them said, well, you know, Bridget, there's a Japanese tradition that if when one doesn't need to commit that you cut off a finger, are you committing this? We could cut off your finger. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and I said, yeah, fine, cut off my finger. And part of me was like, are you asking marketing to cut off their finger? Are you asking product to cut off their finger? Are you asking anybody else to cut off a digit? Only me. It's funny, even though they were kidding It did create some anxiety in me. Oh, I mean, we did end up hitting the number. But part of me felt frustrated with myself that I let it get to me so much. Mm. You know, I'm going to put in the same level of work. It doesn't matter. I'm going to give it 199, whatever the highest percent you can give it, I'm going to give it Mm -hmm. regardless. So that I think is a constant just drumbeat of my just things that I work on. I love that you share that. It's so helpful to hear. Just like there's the ideal of a number and a pursuit, there's this ideal like, oh, if I, if I just get through, you know, the next two years, then I'll have it down pat, right? I'll be focused, efficient. I'll know how to prioritize and then everything will be great. And it's so much more like you're saying this constant evolution, this constant work in progress. I try also to be grateful for the challenges and I'm not always grateful. I, oh God, work, 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 work. I, I, it takes a lot in the morning before I walk into the office. I need to sometimes reframe. If we, let's say, lost a big deal or the quarter looks down or projections aren't good or somebody quit and I look and I think, oh my God, we're not going to hit our number. And I can go into a spiral Hmm. and just feel less than 
I'm no good. They should get a new VP of sales. Somebody would do it better. And how, again, it's this reframing and this resilience and that it takes a lot. This is not a one and done. This growth stuff, uh, I've sometimes said to friends, you know what? God, this growth stuff is so hard. Maybe I'd be better off just being shallow. Like, what's wrong with shallow? (laughs) I'm tired of all this work I'm having to do to be there. Maybe shallow would be better. But you don't go there. How come? Because it's not better. Hmm. You know what? I walk into the office and God, the richness that I get every day. I listened to several podcasts and I read some stuff about Sheryl Sandberg. Her husband had died. It's being very deliberate about these moments of gratitude and that you say, oh my God, I'm going to write about that. That's a moment of gratitude. I can have one conversation with a colleague or someone who works for me and I'll think, oh my gosh, I am the richest. I wouldn't give this up for anything. And I think that's part of the gift is these relationships and the connections. And it's the contrast, Sarah. It's the black keys and the white keys on a piano. Mm -hmm. To make the music, we got to have both. And I try to remember that. It's the contrast. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't have the downs, I wouldn't feel the ups. I love this. Thank you so much. So I love to wrap up a podcast with a series of short answer questions, big questions. I'll try. I'll try. We'll see. We'll see. So first I'm going to start with work and then I'm going to go back to motherhood. Same questions. So first, what is the hardest part about startups or entrepreneurship or in your case, sales? For me, exactly what we talked about, my value tied to a number Mm. and how do I work to make sure that the two are separate? How do I also give that same gift and encouragement to the people on my team that I validate them as humans and who they are and what they're doing? And we're all moving towards something that's very important, which is the revenue. Mm -hmm. How do I hold the two together? And in a startup, there's so much uncertainty. And I have this coach who tells me every time we talk, Bridget, the average tenure for a VP of sales at your stage is 24 months. Let's hope you make it that far. And Like there's just so much uncertainty. And so you've got to be comfortable with ambiguity and uncertainty and kind of making your way when there's no way laid out for you. What's the best part of it? For me, it's the people Mm. and the connections and working together on building something. There's something about creating that is like no other. When you come together with a group of people and you're all trying to figure it out and you're all there with a common struggle, the bonding. And when I was, I know these are short answer, I'll make it as short (laughs) as I can, but when I was looking for my next opportunity before I came to Logs.io and I had this set of criteria that was very different than the other criteria I'd had before. But one of them was very much around who are the people I'm going to be working with? Who are the people on the executive team? Who is on the board? Because we're going to be in close quarters. Hmm. And it's really important that this is a team that I feel has my back and I've got theirs and we're going to go do it together. So it's the community around the building that is so rewarding. What surprised you the most about this profession? About VP of sales or in a startup or? Yes, but pick either. 
sales, maybe because we're on it. What was kind of a surprise or something you weren't expecting? Well, I guess I never thought that I would enjoy it as much as I enjoyed it because I was so reluctant. I guess the other surprise, I learned it very, very early. And luckily, I was in an environment that supported it. I was so brutally honest with customers. I remember early when I was at Xerox, the customers was comparing us and a proposal he'd gotten from, I think, IBM. And he asked me which one, and I knew his environment, and I knew what he was trying to do and how much money he had. And I said, I think you should go with IBM. I encouraged him to go with a competitor. And I went back, and I told my boss. And fast forward a few months, that particular account became my biggest customer. Hmm. Because what was the most important value was that he felt he could trust me. Mm-hmm. And it was a very large company. And that element of trust and just being that authenticity is the most important thing in sales. It's not about techniques. It's not about what scripts I have, but just being able to create an environment of trust. And what do you wish more people talked about or more people knew? That salespeople are not coin-operated. I hate that term. They're coin operated. All they, they're not coin operated. To value a salesperson as an individual and what he or she is striving for and what they want and what they're about and not to reduce them to this lowest common denominator of just put money in, this comes out. I think that is the biggest thing. I love that. I've heard that phrase and you're so right. Okay, so switching to pregnancy and Mm. motherhood. What's the hardest thing about pregnancy or motherhood in your experience? You can't always make it better for them. How much joy and how much sorrow is the wrong word, but how you feel so completely what they may be feeling and you can't always fix it. And it doesn't get better when they get older. <laughs> you still feel it. In fact, it's easier when they're little and you can put a Band-Aid on it. But, but when they get older and they've got bigger things that they've got to work out on their own, it can be so painful but so sweet in that pain. I don't really know how to describe it. Just there's no experience that's richer. Mm-hmm. But also it can be so difficult. You can't walk the path for them. Mm-hmm. What has been the best thing about motherhood? Andrew and Mark. Hundred percent Andrew and Mark, who they are, their own people, the joy and just watching them grow and who they've become and all the steps along the way. Wouldn't trade it for anything in the whole world. I used to tell them, Sarah, when they were little. When I go to the kindergarten class and I see all the kids in kindergarten, if the teacher told me I could pick any of them, I could pick any child, I would always pick you. I'd pick you. I wouldn't pick, like, because they would see kids that were better at art or better. And I would say, if I had the choice of any kid, always pick you. You're my number one choice. And I feel the same way today. If I could pick anybody, I would always pick Andrew. I would always pick Mark. Stop. Now you're going to make me cry on a podcast. Oh, it makes me cry. It makes me cry. I mean, because, and again, and trust me, there are no halos on these kids' heads. Okay. Right, right. right. They are normal, but they are, for me, just a little bit of perfection. Oh, what surprised you most about motherhood? I don't know what I was thinking. I thought I'd have more control. 
I thought I would be able to script things and they would do things. I, I thought I could mold them more. And what surprised me about everything? Yeah. Everything yeah. surprised me. Everything surprised me. And I come from a big family. I have lots of brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews and I've been around babies and everything surprised me. It was one surprise after another. So true. You're like, maybe you'll be, nope, you are a person. You're no, your own did, person. <laughs> a, a better question would be, what didn't surprise me? Okay, childbirth would be hard. That didn't mm. surprise me. I mean, it, right, it's right. less what didn't surprise mm. me. Mm. What do you wish more people talked about? What do I wish more people talked about? The hard things, the imperfections. Oh, I'll tell you. It's when your kids are struggling and I'll talk about one in particular, suicide mm. among teens. Mm. And I'm so grateful my sons didn't struggle with it, but their classmates did. There was one year at Gunn High School in Palo Alto where several of my younger son Mark's classmates jumped in front of a train right before graduation. But since that time, I've had several moms come to me and divulge this secret that their son or daughter was struggling with suicide and they felt so alone. And I thought, oh my God, if you people would just connect, but we want to just share, look, he's got accepted to Harvard and he may, he's got 4.2 GPA and he's, let's share the real, let's be real about the struggles because that's where we as parents need help is not just the good things, but where are the struggles? We can't support each other if we don't know what those struggles are. That's, oh my God, so true for all of us, right? I mean, these 16-year-olds, right? You're 16. Do people like me? Are we dating? What's my identity? What do I, like, there's so much more that's so important to talk about. When you look at social media, and I look and I think, oh my gosh, everybody is leading these perfect lives. They're on <laughs> vacation. Their kids just graduated from Princeton and everybody's pretty perky and popular. And it's so beautiful. And I think about kids that are looking at this. And, and I remember my son telling me when he was in college, he said, mom, I just don't think I'm having the same kind of fun other kids are having. Mm. I'm not a big drinker. And it's because what we put out is not real. And so I think to put out what's real and what's real is often struggle. Mm -hmm. It's often joy, but it's often struggle. Mm -hmm. And yet it's so hard to talk about sometimes or to feel like it's safe to talk about it. Wow. Okay. So this is a huge answer to the last question. I am going to wrap us up and maybe we could continue another time on this amazing topic of discussion because how to have open, honest conversations and how to be vulnerable is such a critical skill for everyone, mothers, to connect to other people, salespeople, to not be treated like coin operators. So true, Sarah. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Bridget, thank you. This has been personally meaningful to me. I'm going to leave having just a little bit more of a skip in my step throughout today. It's been such a joy to listen to you. And I know how much other women and whoever's listening to this podcast, there's this feeling you get when you hear somebody else's story and you're like, oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, and Sarah, thank you for listening. There's so much power 
in just somebody being present and listening to your experience. I think so. Thank you for that. That's mm. a big gift to me as well. So thank you. All right, I promised to talk a little bit about using virtual assistants and how to make that a part of your life as an entrepreneur. Taskerly, the sponsor of this episode, is a small team based in the UK, and they work with a ton of clients in the US. What they do is they focus on helping online businesses, entrepreneurs, and startups with their marketing and admin work behind the scenes. So here are some of the things that they do. They do social media scheduling, email marketing, inbox management. They can help with customer service, basic graphic design work. They can moderate Facebook groups. They even help with researching and outlining a ghostwriting if you're working on a big writing project. Or if you're running a blog and a podcast, they can help you manage your content calendars. And they've done things like website maintenance and making sure that your website is up to date. All of these things are super important things that online entrepreneurs need nowadays. And I remember the moment when I was so nervous because I wanted to hire somebody and I wasn't quite ready. Taskerly and other virtual assistants can be so helpful because they help you bridge the gap. And you're like, okay, I'm going to start with a few hours a month. Maybe I'll build up to a few hours a week. And once you realize how much it helps to have somebody on your team taking some of the load off. It just changes your life as an entrepreneur. If you're curious, head to taskerly.co slash pregnant and apply to work with them. They don't accept everybody, but if you apply and you get accepted because you're a good match, as a bonus for being a startup pregnant listener, you will get 10% off of your first three months. Thank you so much for being a listener of the show. A few more things before we end this episode. First, if you know of a woman or a friend that would benefit from this show, send them a link to our website at startuppregnant.com. So many of you have already reached out and shared your stories, what this podcast is doing for you. And for that, I am so grateful. So if you know of somebody that would love to listen in, or you think that these stories would really hit at home for somebody, feel free to send it along. Second, if you've got a story that you need to share or tell, head over to startuppregnant.com and send us a note. We have had so much reader mail already, and your stories mean the world to us. We are proudly listener-sponsored, so if you want to sponsor the show and hear more episodes, head over to our Patreon page and you can buy us a cup of coffee or two or three. We'll take many cups of coffee. If you want any of the show notes or links from this particular episode, all of the references and tools and tips that we talk about are always posted on StartupPregnant.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you on the next episode. Music.